Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have the one and only Mr. Marvin Epstein on the show. So please stay with us. And if you would, go ahead and share this out to all of your friends and family. We'll see you in a minute. And we are back. Let me bring Marvin on. Here we are. How are you, Marvin? Fantastic. Good to see you, Ken. Good to see you as well. I appreciate you um, investing the time to be on the show today and share some of your wisdom with with the audience. It's so, my honor. I appreciate you having me on. I, I'm honored that you're here. So I, I you and I talked on the phone Um and and seems like you have quite the story and i i honestly i started this I, I guess it's been almost four years now um and it was to help other people get unstuck in life i i think that some people hit these walls in life and and they get stuck and they don't know what to do so um, that's what this show is all about but why don't we start with you telling everybody where you were born and raised so I was born in Southern California and raised in Palm Springs, a uh, single parent family. It was a small town and I was a small town kid and I had really bad asthma. So we moved to Palm Springs because of the weather. Mm. And my grandmother and my mom and my sister, uh, we all kind of loaded up the truck and, and moved out to the desert. Uh, and it was a great childhood. I was surrounded by love, affection, compassion, principle-driven, character-driven, disciplined individuals. And while we were um, lacking financially, everything else was so strong. My childhood was the best. Wow. So you went to like grade school, middle school, all of that in, in Palm Springs. Yep, I did. I was one of the wow. few people that lived there that weren't the grandparents. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've never been to Palm Springs. I've heard amazing things about it, though. Oh, it's a it's a great desert town. The air and the climate and everything is amazing. And it's stayed a small town. Does it get really, really hot there? It does. 115, 118. It's like toasty. You it's can definitely fry an egg on the street. So it's, it's definitely a desert town. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I love, I, I loved it. It was, I mean, I definitely loved the heat and I was mm. on the tennis team in the high school and we played in the summertime and believe me, you don't get any mentally tougher playing in 115 degree weather. Yeah, I'm sure. So, so growing up, I mean, um, was, did you, were there any, like rough patches for you, like spots that you hit that, that, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it can be tough, especially being a teenager. I have, I have a 16 year old daughter and an 11 year old daughter. Mm. I'm like, wow. 
Well, the the one thing I would say, and it's kind of a tribute to my grandmother, who we affectionately nicknamed my nanny. When I had really bad asthma, she created green drinks and almond milk. She taught me yoga. She rubbed tea tree oil on my chest. So it was all to make her grandson healthy. And it had and it had no business channel in there. So, mm. you know, she could have been a billionaire if, if that was her goal because of everything she was creating way before the commercial companies came out. But it was everything that was organic. So everything I learned was very kinesthetic and, and for your audience, very contextual. It was very hands-on. We were very loving. We hugged each other all the time. We had great times to be able to spend and learn and talk. And when I was a teenager, my mom had a very simple rule. If you can handle the responsibility, you get the freedom. And the one thing I can say about parents is the simpler and the clearer they send the message and the more consistent they are, yeah. quote unquote, the tougher it is for the kid to find a loophole. <laughs> yeah, right. <That's> true. <clears throat> and I was one of these bright kids that was always looking for loopholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 somehow I can relate to that. <laughs> so, so when you, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I just wanted to no, say. No, so go when, ahead. When you talk about teenagers' angst, anxieties, challenges, the more they get to be themselves and the parent says, that's you, that's part of you, the more comfort level the parent has, the more the kid will enjoy being themselves. Yeah, We're going to break things. We're going to steal things. We're going to ruin things and wreck things. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just, I mean, that's us. <clears throat> but every time, you know, and I was so blessed that my mom embraced it all and made me feel like everything was okay and nothing phased her. And I think that, you know, this day and age of everybody's looking to find these unique and creative and, you know, unparalleled solutions. Yeah. It's been around for years. Be honest, be truthful, be authentic and be consistent. Amen. Wow. So, so did you end up, did you go to college then? I did. I went to Long Beach State. What did you, what was your major? <clears throat> so I was going to be a poli-sci major because I always thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I took one semester of poly pre-law classes and yeah. said, I, I don't want to be somebody that studies history. I want to be somebody that makes history. Oh. So I then chose business and marketing as my major. I kind of joke about colleges. Fortunately, I got good enough grades to stay involved in all the activities that I was involved in. And I was wow. always an entrepreneur. I mean, when I was 10 years old, I brokered my paper out. So <clears throat> I always was looking to be, I tell myself and other people that I'm the, I'm the fantasy Tom Sawyer in my past life, mm. working smarter, not harder. So in college, when I got into business, I literally was so immersed with my marketing department teachers that were literally telling stories about their day. It wasn't the school book. It was literally listening to who they met with, what the work, what they were working on. And, you know, I would just go up to the teacher afterwards. I said, can I take you to lunch? I want to hear more. And wow. when the American Marketing Association had their kind of executive branch, the role of the vice president was to recruit the speakers. And I was like, that's my role. I don't care about the presidential title. I want to be the one to meet all the speakers. 
and I printed wow. business cards and I literally told him, I said, I just want to be able to take you to lunch one time once I know what I want. And every wow. single one, because, you know, you're the college kid with the wide eyed vision. They're like, of course, just call me. I said, OK, I'm calling you. And I called every single one of them and I told him, look, I'm the campaign manager for the student body president. And I want to talk about how do I get your support? And the long story short is I made Bank of America the title sponsor of our campaign. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. And that was in college. Yes. Wow. So what? So you got you went through college, obviously doing big things while you were there. Did you graduate? I did. I graduated okay. with a BS. And okay. believe me, there's a reason why they call it BS when you get a business degree. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I didn't go to college, but I've, I've, I've hired a lot of college graduates and I, I've often wondered, what are they, what are they <laughs> teaching you in that? <laughs> like, that's not real life, like real business. Right. So, so what is, so after college, what did you, where did you go from there? Well, I kind of jokingly say now, I ended up working for one of the people I met in college in an event marketing company. And then I started a hologram company with somebody that was part of that company as a spinoff. And, mm. you know, not to throw shade on people that are, you know, not the most ethical, but um, I'm happy to mention his name, but I think for the appropriate conversation to stay positive, everybody's got an evil person in their life yeah. that comes into their life for a reason. And I would say, I in when I was 21, I was an effing genius. And when I was 22, I was an effing idiot. And now I'm a recovering, I'm a recovering learning sponge. Right. So let's just say a fool and his money is soon parted. Uh, yeah. And it taught me many lessons. First of all, it taught me a lot about myself. It taught yeah. me a lot about being true to myself and, and being 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 aware of what my strengths are and what my weaknesses were and knowing that they're always going to change if right. I want them to change. Again, the, the early 20s to mid 20s is, um, I think, quite often a um, an interesting period of time <laughs> for for most of us. Um, yeah, I think I, men I, should like take that block. And yeah. just not do anything for three years <laughs> in the world. <laughs> they should go I, on I, top of the mountain and study. <laughs> I, I honestly, I think because uh, I, I, you know, I, I got my cut my teeth in door to door sales in my my early twenties. I've I said when Brian Tracy was on the show, I said I said I think every kid needs to come out of high school and go knock on doors selling something for the first two or three years of life. I mean, so I and have then to, decide. So I have to tell your audience this was not a setup because you have no idea. When I basically lost all my money and I had literally a month to find a way to make two thousand dollars, or I basically get kicked out of my place. Yeah, I literally went through the classified ads and all I did is look for jobs that I could make two thousand dollars a month. And one of them was in direct sales for a company called Gourmet's Choice. Wow. And you basically wear a chef's outfit and run around and sell dining subscriptions. And wow. I and I literally went into the office, them saying, why do you want to be here? And I told this gentleman, Ed Tilden, brilliant man. 
I said, I need to make $2,000 in a month. And that's what your ad says. And he said, well, it's a little more complicated than that. I said, not to me. I said, I need to make $2,000 this month. Your ad says it, and I'm going to make sure I do it. Tell me what I need to do. So I'll give you kind of the short version, because if you were in direct sales, you can relate. Uh, So I took my direct sales hat and I took my marketing hat and put the two together and said, I can either go door to door one by one or I can find a group. So when I got it, I basically told him, I said, look, my training program needs to end in time for me to make this much money. So what does it take for me to get out of training as quickly as possible? He said, well, you need to sell 20 books. I said, okay, I'll go through one day of training. I want the next day to be my territory. And if I sell 20 books, I get to go on. If I don't, I'll go back into training. Wow. So I literally scoured the territory, looked for real estate groups, health clubs, insurance, brokerage houses, everybody that had a bunch of people. And I went and basically charmed the receptionist and said, you know, <clears throat> I want to, and you know, you're wearing your chef's outfit. So it's a little disarming. Yeah. So first of all, you have to be out of you. Yep. You can't be in a suit and tie. So you have to feel entertaining and, and engaging. And so, you know, they look at you and they laugh and you're a little disarming. And I basically, instead of telling her what I was selling, I told her, you know, who I was. Right. And I said, look, you know, I said, you look like somebody that enjoys going to nice restaurants. And I just kind of casually picked out a couple of restaurants that were in the book until she realized she knew one. And I said, oh, that's a great restaurant because I've done all my research. I know everything about all the restaurants. Yeah. So I told her, I said, you know, I said, I would love to take you or I would love to give you an opportunity. I don't know if you have a boyfriend or not. Oh, no, I don't. Great. I would love to take you. And, you know, if you like the restaurant as much as you think you do, I'm sure your boss would love it, too. Maybe your boss would like to know more about what I'm doing. And then, lo and behold, within three hours, I sold 30 bucks. And made your $2,000. Not only did I make my $2,000, within 30 days, I was basically Ed's regional manager for sales training. (laughs) So you made a whole lot more than $2,000. Yeah. Wow. And for your audience... Everybody does this. Yeah. It's intention to action. My intention was very simple. I need $2,000 in three weeks. My action was anybody that will offer that. And when I met Ed, Ed was authentic. He was clear guy from Philly. So very like street smart. Yeah. And saw me and said, look, if you're real, this is the challenge. You want to take it on? I'm willing to. I'm willing to give you the challenge, and wow. an audience that you have with entrepreneurs and and people that are always looking to be stronger, better, to be able to help other people. That's what this is all about: is you take your intention, you turn into an action, and you focus on the action, and yeah. everything else stays in that lane. Wow. So so how long did you do that working with Ed? Right. Yeah. So I did it for six months. They wanted me to move to Denver and basically be a high ranking executive in the corporate world. Wow. And at that point, my family was the most important thing. My sister was, uh, just got married and I wanted to spend more time with them and, and I was single. And so I really wanted to like spend more time with family and learn more about family values kind of on the next level. And I wasn't ready to relocate. So 
Ed and I stay friends even till this day. Wow. And I decided I wanted to do something in hospitality. So I ended up doing two things. One, I decided to be an actor for a short time. That's a whole other story for another <laughs> podcast. And also I wanted to get into hospitality. So I met somebody when I was um, when I was living in Palm Springs, I worked at a nightclub and I met somebody that owned a restaurant chain. And the, the, there's a whole nother podcast that we need to do yeah. about how to get engaged by being engaging. And because of the way I was raised, it was always about who you are. And when you're younger, who you are is your strongest asset because what you do is basically probably nothing. Right. So I was a valet parker and I worked at the front door and my goal was to meet every single person and find yeah. out what they do and be fascinated with what they do and see if there's something going on. One of them gave me his business card and he said, look, you know, first of all, nobody knew how young I was because you're not supposed to be doing what I'm doing at that age. But in Palm Springs, you know, nobody cared. How so, old were you? I was just getting ready to ask how, what, what age range was this? 16. Whoa. <laughs> wow. And I could grow a mustache. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And, and the expression of act as if, so look, I can act like a 16 year old and they will treat me like one. Yeah. Or I can act like the age they think I am and behave like one. Yeah. So when I engaged with them and keep in mind, a lot of this had to do with the family dynamic because yeah. mom took me everywhere and said, if you can handle the responsibility, you get the freedom. So in Palm Springs, you know, it has its own dynamic. There's a lot of celebrities and a lot of, you know, yeah. people of different, you know, cultures and stages of life. And so I met like very, very high profile celebrities it had nothing to do with anything other than these were people she encountered and, and was involved with. She was part of the desert museum board and she had Nancy Sinatra and Wallace Handenberg and Dolores Hope. And these became like my family friends. Wow. I had no idea how famous they were. Um, and there's a whole nother story about Frank Sinatra's bathroom for another day. The point of this is, is my mom said, look, you handle the responsibility, you get the freedom. And what that made me feel is, I can be with anybody. I can share yeah. with anybody. And as long as I'm engaging and take the time to find out what they want, whether it's yeah. get the VIP table in the nightclub, get their yeah. car parked in the front row, or meet the beautiful girl that walked in the door, yeah. saying that on both sides, meeting the beautiful guy or the beautiful girl, there's, there's a value that I can provide. And then my age is immaterial. So... When yeah. I was meeting these people, you know, they all thought I was 21 because I'm working at a nightclub. So the fact that, you know, and I have this expression, it's not who you know, it's not what you know, it's what other people think you know. Yeah. So if they make you 21 and they already made you an adult and you behave like an adult for that period of time, you're an adult. Now, wow. my mom had an expression, you can reach for the stars, but keep your feet on the ground or else. Yeah. So... I would come home with story after story and mom would be up. I'd be coming home at like two 30 in the morning. And the goal was, is as long as I get up in time for school, I can keep this job. Wow. So when you have a mom and a parent that says, look, if you handle the responsibility, you get the freedom. 
of course, I'm going to wake up in the morning on time because I want yep. this so badly. I'm getting this experience that I couldn't ever dreamed of. Wow. And I'd go to school and people would like, so what was your day like? I was like, oh, you'd never believe it if I told you. So was this, this was, was this, this was before college then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and out of college is when you worked with Ed. Correct. Okay. And then, you and, then left. I, and then what happened was, is one of the guys that came to the nightclub who owned the chain of restaurants said, if you ever want a job, let me know. And he uh, was in Southern California and it was a chain called the Red Onion. It was a nightclub chain. They had 18 locations. And wow. I called him and said, you know, this is Marvin Epstein. You remember me from Cecil's nightclub. And I'd love to work with you. And I started out as a door host and I was a part-time actor. That's a story for another day. And I was a door host and literally my goal was to meet everybody and to learn everything there was because I was wow. fascinated with the industry. And now I'm an older, you know, quote unquote, an older adult where I'm 21. So yeah. now I can take all this knowledge I learned from 16 to 20 ish. Cause literally yeah. I would come back on the weekends from college and work at this place. Wow. So I was constantly networking and, and I changed the word now from networking to integrating because networking to me, you know, as the word and the definition is, you know, you're putting pieces together and you're, you know, you're creating a net and there's all these different ways of explaining it. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I like the word an integrator is because an integrator is taking part of you and integrating it with part of them. A networker is taking what they want and figuring out how to give it to them, but it may not have anything to do with you. Right. So if you want to have something tangible to hold on to, you want to be an integrator. Yeah. You want yeah. to integrate. You want to be part of the fabric and part of the thread of everything. And to do that, you need to know who you are and who you are is the value always because who you are is never going to change. And that may sound scary, but who you are and the more you learn who you are, the more value, the more you're authentic to the person that you're sharing because it's really you and yep. it's you organically. So people understand it, that you're the most comfortable in that skin. And so when I started working there, I learned everything, every single area of the restaurant industry to the point that I started the telemarketing business and transformed it into the listen to what the buyer wants, tell yeah. them they tell them you have it, then create it. So I more or less transformed the telemarketing department because of my experience in customer service Yeah, is if they want this and you know they want this, then tell them this is available and they'll take it. The, the one thing I will tell your audience, the one secret is how do you get somebody to do something that you want? You create the value of what they want in what you want. So right. a, a fast example is if Wednesday is happy hour day that you wanna build and everybody wants Friday because Friday is Friday, then when they tell you it's Friday, you say, you know what? I am so glad you didn't choose Wednesday because Wednesday is packed. And their question is really, Wednesday is packed. It's like, you know, I can't tell you all the reasons why, but it's packed. And 
Wow. Man, what a great Wednesday we have. And I'm so glad you didn't choose that because literally I have maybe like five spots. And then you get their attention like, really, Wednesday is that good? And by the time you get to your fifth phone call, you've proven the theory. Wednesday is now packed. And this is at the this is at the nightclub. Yes. That you're doing this. Yes. Wow. You're and before the internet and before nightclub. Yes. What's that? And before the internet and social media. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I never thought that a nightclub would be telemarketing people. <laughs> well, they they call up and they tell you, you know, I see it's your birthday in the office, and we'd like to uh, invite you. And and the but. The challenge is, is how do you get people to come other than Friday? So then once I started building out Wednesday and Tuesday and Monday with, I then had a whole team. I recruited college kids because college kids, it's like Tom Sawyer paint fence. How'd you like to work at a nightclub? (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not 21. No, I know. How'd you like to work at a nightclub? Right, (laughs) right, right. So so So, then once I built that out, then I was like, okay, now how do I entertain them? So I met with the DJ after hours and he taught me how to DJ. So then I became the happy hour DJ. Wow. Then I started talking to sponsors and saying, hey, look, we have a packed house. Would you guys like to give stuff away to an audience? And I'll make it easy. I'll bring the audience to you. So I had all these companies that were giving things away. So yeah. it was like sponsor this, sponsor this. And then all of a sudden I put up a banner for this. And then it just became a whole marketing side to the point that I was literally getting so many raises my district manager who till this day unfortunately he passed recently bob marshall mm. he told me marvin you've gotten so many raises you're not getting any more raises you either need to become a manager or it's up to you if you want to stay where you are so i finally became a manager in the restaurant industry jeez and how long did you do that uh 7 years so 7 years so you had to now you're approaching th- 30 or, or Correct. yeah. So where did, where did things go after you left the restaurant industry or, or that business? So, rather? so this goes back to, and I hope your audience will appreciate this. Say yes. And it'll all figure itself out. So th- I was quite successful in the restaurant industry because my district manager let me kind of make my own rules to how to get a bonus Mm-hmm. And the bonus went from sales to profit and loss. So I created a whole program to create a very low turnover rate by basically turning the employees into owners. And this might be, you know, a podcast again for another day. Yeah. But when you have 20, you know, when you have 18 to 21 year old, 23 year old individuals, good looking people that are energetic, athletic, good communicators, you can make them owners very quickly and make them valuable and marketable. And so literally I would ask them like, what career do you want to pursue? And then I would reach out to people that were experts at those careers. And I would have an employee of the month competition and the employee of the month got to choose the industry they wanted. Yeah. And then I went back to that executive and said, Hey, how'd you like to speak to potentially your, your newest employee? because they're really passionate about finance or architecture or design or medicine. And I want to make you the spotlight speaker. So Mm. you're going to come and you're going to talk about your specialty and I'm going to set up a separate luncheon with this individual. So it's a win for the employee and it's a win for the speaker. And 
what I took that to do is realize that if you say yes and you give somebody pride of ownership, they will take on a new persona. So I was making very, very good money. And when I got out of that industry, I was kind of, you know, as they say, sipping a martini, enjoying the ocean. Yeah. And my mom basically said, you're being lazy, annoying and irresponsible. And I don't know what happened. You said you were going to be here an hour ago and it's two hours. And and I realized that, you know, when when I was out of that industry, my discipline kind of went out the window and I felt like, you know, I don't have any responsibility and it's okay. So she said, you need to get another job. You need to be doing something. And I saw this ad for World Cup soccer and they're looking for volunteers. And I know you like sports. World Cup soccer. Yes. I did not anticipate the story heading this direction. (laughs) So I was living in Long Beach. I was literally living off the ocean, falling asleep to the waves, laying out in the sun, enjoying whatever. And I, I thought, I really want to, I really want to do this. Okay, fine, mom, you know, I'll go up, I'll interview. And then I was like, wow, I get to do sports. They're looking for restaurants. They're looking for sponsors. It's a nonprofit and just a fast backwards. I call it when I was little, even though we didn't have much money, she always gave me money before Sunday school. And her statement was, there's always somebody that needs more than we do. And we're always Mm going to make sure that they're accounted for. So something that's a nonprofit sponsorship driven hospitality restaurants and sports. Mm. Okay. You got my attention. Wow. So normal Adam, who's a mentor of mine till this day, he was the director of something called legacy tour, which was the nonprofit division of world cup. And they were looking for volunteers. And so he needed people to recruit restaurants. He needed, he needed people to bring in sponsors and we did crowd building and outreach by building like these soccer events yeah. in these, you know, kind of low income areas to be able to create outreach for kids to want to be interested in soccer. And and just wow. a one minute on Norm. Norm was the president and uh, CEO of Writers and Artists. And then he sold it to Paradigm Talent Agency. And wow. he's an agent for Trevor Noah and some pretty big people. So yeah. Norm was very, very high up. And I had no idea who he was. All I knew is he was giving me access to all the things I enjoyed and had fun with. So he literally gave me this job and not realizing that because of the restaurant and nightclub industry, I'd done this many, many times. Mm -hmm. So he gave me something that he thought was going to take like three or four weeks. And I did it in three days. And I say this with not just confidence, but with something I think your audience will appreciate when you accomplish a goal you can raise your hand and cheer yourself on. That's great. But the real question is, is you accomplished a goal that has more to do. What's next? So I literally was the what's next person. And then fast forward within three weeks, I was almost, I became his basically quote unquote, his vice president of the company. And the goal was, is to be able to. And you were, you were 30 ish. Correct. Actually, okay. not quite thirty. That's that's. I, I I want if I may jump in real quick. I want to I want to interject something that I I'm seeing as a um, a very common denominator in 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 to this point in your story. 
And that is, you must have been and are an unbelievable salesperson. You, 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 you were in sales. So you can call it sales. I call it storytelling. Okay, but it like still until somebody till you closed a deal, somebody spent money. <laughs> you can right, tell but, the best story in the world, right? But you closed the deals. Well, okay. So I'll give I'll I'll give you an an affirmative to yes, closing and sales is obviously it's a revenue driven piece and, yeah. a, and an access channel. The storytelling part is how this sales closes. Focusing yep. on the sale, you're focused on one thing. Focused on engagement and being engaging will close yeah. things organically. Amen. And Say it again for the people in the back. Focusing on the story and engaging will close your sale organically. And this is insurance. This is real estate. Yep. This is health clubs. This is everything. Relationship capital in 17 exclamation points. Build the relationship. Build the relationship. Amen. And when you're not sure what I said in the back, build the relationship. And the value yep. of building the relationship is that is a foundation because now you've built like norm and i are friends till this day because we built a relationship yeah. it wasn't about mechanically accomplishing the goal it was who are you and how do i provide value and how do we engage and what ended up happening was because we were so successful and another one of my mentors kathy sharp who actually she wrote a book right before COVID called reinvent your life I recommend everybody read it. Kathy and I then ended up working together after World Cup. She was brilliant. She had a PR and marketing company. And again, all I wanted to do was follow her around and learn. I knew nothing about PR. I knew about marketing. I knew about sponsorship. Didn't know about PR. So I'm like, I like this person. She really like energetically and authentically connects. So I just purposely made sure I was where she was in every meeting. And all wow. I did was pay attention. So between those two, what the value that happened was we created such a big value to the World Cup that they then created a consulting division that was traveling around the country. And that's when I got hired and paid. Wow. So the goal wasn't to get paid. This was a volunteer position up until then. Yeah. Now they said, wow. look, we're creating an, what's called an advanced team if people understand how to produce events. But how, but, so how long did you do that as a volunteer position? Four weeks. Three oh, so, well, I was going to say, how in the world did you pay your bills? <laughs> or, you know, but... Well, but also in the restaurant industry, fortunately, I did quite well because I leveraged the bonus yeah. and was financially the issue wasn't financially it was how to become a more responsible adult <laughs> that At was my mom that was my mom's 30. message that's insane though when when you think about the uh, when i think about the you were 29 or 30 years old or 28 or somewhere in that vicinity and you're thinking like that 
um that's that's a different level than i experienced because i wasn't i was thinking about how do i party more (laughs) well but keep in mind the hospitality industry is all about a party and the better party you create the better the better audience experience the more successful you become that's the Mm. i mean i'd love to do a podcast on 10 keys to having a successful restaurant and nightclub which we can talk about offline because literally it's about bringing people into your house yep and when it and when it comes to the event side it's about yeah. the reveal. It's literally about how to build the audience's interest and excitement yeah. and hype yep. and value so that when you actually, quote unquote, swing open the doors, they can't wait to get in. Right. And wow. when I ended up getting hired, I mean, by the way, I only made, I think it was $1,000 a month. And I say this only, I'm being careful to, you know, how people look at value of money. But literally it was World Cup the volunteer organization that yeah. didn't have a budget. <laughs> so they were like, look, if we're going to make these people travel around, we got to pay them. <laughs> $1,000 a month. Yes. Wow. But I got to travel all around. I met, right. so I met basically Norm's counterpart in every city. Cause I learned how to do advanced work, which is basically go to the middle of nowhere. And in yeah. three weeks you create an event with thousands of people. Wow. So, so after that, you went, you went after world cup, you were working with Kathy at a, no, no. So after world cup, well, after world cup, I got so involved in soccer. I actually worked with somebody from the LA soccer foundation and created the first 18 and under soccer league that was going to be televised. So now I learned about television production. So the goal was, is there were all these people that I met that are like, wow, you can bring in sponsors. You can bring in capital. You can bring in an audience. What about doing a television show? And again, I said, yes. And then I called people I knew in the television industry and said, how the hell do you produce a television show? (laughs) Wow. that's And then I came back. And so literally we did the first 18 and under broadcast. And at that time it was called prime ticket. This was before Fox sports net. And literally we had a show. So I did that for a little while just to be able to see how it worked. And what happened was during World Cup, I met a company that did all the video screens that were in all the stadiums and they were looking for somebody. They were a European company that was looking for somebody in the United States Mm -hmm. that could help them marketing and build their business and do business development. And so I basically ended up taking a position with them and putting up video screens in different stadiums. And fast forward was my next, what I call claim to fame was, I created the first closed circuit outdoor television network for NASCAR. Jeez. You talk about a brilliant company. NASCAR is is brilliant in every business aspect. Wow. So so how long did that go on? So the soccer idea only worked for one season. Okay. And I say only because after that, it was the television industry was looking for more things. And I wasn't really, I really wanted to be the event side more than the TV side. Yeah. So when I met what was a company called Lorimage, which I then changed the name in the United States to XL Video, I then said, look, the the technology is, is so expensive. You're competing against every other company that has it. 
Yeah. If we create an advertising model where we can then absorb the cost, then all of a sudden you become elastic in the sense that you're not charging them because you're yeah. creating a rev share. So you're creating your own revenue. So right. I had I had the good fortune of meeting a gentleman, uh, Jim Duncan, who was the uh, his I think he was the sports marketing division of Speedway Motorsports in, in North Carolina. And I basically told the president of our company, I'm going to go meet with him. At this point, we had already made a deal with Panasonic. We had owned five stadium boards. And I said, look, it's really tough to compete in the rental market. Let me find a way that we can put up these screens and get another advertising revenue. And Jim was definitely a good old boy. And uh, just a quick vignette. I met him through his son. And we were at a Talladega race in Alabama. If anybody has been to Talladega, Alabama, it's not exactly where the Marvin Epstein's of the world have most of their friends and contacts. <laughs> so I meet him in the suite and Mike yeah. and Mike Duncan, his son says, you know, Marvin, I'm really excited to introduce you to my dad. And his dad's like six, five, you know, big man, billowing voice. Yeah. And literally Mike says, Hey dad, this is what the guy I told you about Marvin Epstein with the video screens, Marvin, this is my dad, Jim Duncan. And that was the end. So Jim's like, okay, boy, so what are you doing? I had no idea what to say. I, I first started in sales mode of, oh, yeah. well, let me tell you about what we do. I yeah, lost right? him in two. So I lost him in two minutes. Wow. So this is a great audience nugget. He literally, what I call was cordially dismissive. Like, well, good for you, boy. Keep it up. Keep up your success. Walked away and talked to probably Coca-Cola or whoever. So I was like, okay, that didn't work out well. So I literally like paid attention to how to get his full attention. He walks out of the room. I follow him. I then see he's going to the men's room. I'm going to have his undivided attention there. Wow. So I literally, wow. I literally followed him into the men's room. Jeez. And I said, look, I really appreciate meeting you. I said, I would really like to spend just an hour and share with you and learn more about what you do and how I can be of value. And wow. he kind of looks at me with this look. It's like, boy, you realize we're in the bathroom. <laughs> and he, and then he, and then he thinks, he goes, you know what? Uh, Anybody that has your guts and gumption, I'll take a meeting. You call Shelly, my secretary on Wednesday, you make an appointment and show up. Wow. All and from the bathroom. All from the bathroom. And, and I will tell you as an audience nugget, if you energetically know what you want, you will be as creative as possible to accomplish it. Yeah. So my goal was to get his attention. And I realized the first part of our conversation was about me. Yeah. Guess what? It should have been about him. Amen. So, Man, I think I, I I honestly think that if people could get that and and keep that, not just get it for a moment, but get it and keep it, that it could change most people's trajectory of their careers, their lives. Well, first of all, I appreciate that and I agree. And and I feel your audience, which are high-level thinkers and really want to be better every day, yeah. which is one, which is the goal that all of us have is to be better yeah. every day, yeah. is be more engaging, do more homework. 
So what I ended up doing was before I met with Jim, I want to know what Jim likes, not what Jim does. I know what Jim does. That's why I want to meet with him. I want to know what Jim likes. So (laughs) I ended up going to an antique shop and getting an antique gun. It's a longer conversation how that happened. And then when I met with Jim, I didn't even talk about the business. I said, Jim, look, I don't know if you're a gun fan or not, but I saw this gun and I thought, you know, this would look great in your office. And I thought maybe this would be something cool you'd like. And he looks at the gun and he goes, Swagger, boy, where'd you get this? And the (laughs) conversation totally changed. Yeah. It was no longer about the business. It was about being engaging and wanting to talk about this. And I researched the gun so I knew everything about it. So I could tell him the history of World War II and where it was and how it got to the gun shop. And he brought in like four other executives to come see it. These are the engaging pieces. And I say this in a in a very positive and what I call it a one-way street. A one-way street is you go forward. Yep. If you forget, you go forward, you go forward. And when you forget to go forward, you go forward. Yep. So the story was always going forward to him. Yeah. Until he finally said, So how are we going to work together? Oh wow. And literally, I'm on the roof of their track with Humpy Wheeler, the president of Speedway Motorsports, another brilliant individual and organic mentor. Yeah. And he told me, he goes, this is not a racetrack. This is real estate. Our goal is to make people come to the real estate as many times a year as we can and make as much money as possible by creating a fan experience. Can you do that? And? And the answer is, Humpy, not only can I do it, I can bring you the <laughs> entertainment value of the display screens and it won't cost you a dime. And okay. is this is this ta- at Talladega? This was at Speedway Motorsports in Concord, North Carolina. Okay. This was at their wow. track in Charlotte. Yeah. So you ready for lesson number two? That's where the NASCAR Hall of Fame is, by the way, for everybody watching. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. You ready for lesson number two? Yeah. I'm ready for bear now. I'm I'm telling Humpy, and you don't have to pay a dime for it. I'm thinking this could be a no-brainer. He says, well, you know what? He goes, we could do this one of two ways. We can do this as a partnership, or we can do this as a rev share. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, you guys have your fixed cost, and obviously whatever that is. And then after that, we're going to do a rev share. Or you can be a partner of ours. We spend millions of dollars marketing our venue. Which is better for you? I like the rev share idea. Yeah. So not only did we bring the screens in for free, they got a 20% rev share on all our revenues. And are these the the giant screens in center field that yes. that wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. And, and though, and the vignette in that fast forward is I did that for a year and then my sister was having her first child. So I'm living in Atlanta at the time and I'm traveling around every weekend to all the NASCAR races, learning from another mentor, Hal Price, another brilliant individual. And I was thinking like, I'm not where I want to be. I want to be with the family. My sister's going to have her first child. Yeah. And I'm hearing about it over the phone. So I basically in California. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. 
Yeah. So I tendered yeah. an offer to the company and they declined it. And I basically said, okay, I'm going back to California. Wow. So you left the NASCAR circuit. <laughs> I left the NASCAR circuit. And when I came wow. back to California, I said, okay, what am I going to do now? And then I started a whole nother career. I got into event marketing and I got into finance and venture capital and was part of a hedge fund and just started a whole new journey. And again, it's saying yes and figuring it out. What I will say though, is I met some people that I realized, and, and this is hopefully something that's of value to, uh, to understand the authenticity of people. It's not what they say, it's what they think you wanna hear. Mm. And a lot of people told me what I wanted to hear. And then I realized their actions were different than what we we're actually accomplishing. And part of the reason why I got out of finance is because I realized it wasn't an honorable group of people I was involved with. I learned a lot, right? but I also realized that this is not something I want to be associated with. This is not how I want people to recognize me. Wow. And then fast forward, uh, I met a gentleman, Eric Stotes, at kind of this high level CEO roundtable. And he was talking about this organization he just started for entrepreneurs called Karma International. And it was about who you are, not what you do. And I was like, I'm in. And that was like the next stage of my journey. And, and Karma started in 2006. Wow. And you, so are, what is your, your role as executive vice president of Karma? So my focus is two things, business development and philanthropy. Okay. And building out both sides, which is basically building out the membership, bringing in strategic partners. I create a whole speaker series. And actually one of my Karma members um, invited me to speak at Harvard. And, wow. and my public speaking career gets launched kind of organically. I, another gentleman, Mike Kostash, was a teacher at Pepperdine. And he invited me to speak at something called the Business Academy, which, by the way, all your speakers, we're doing this again. This is a reunion this summer at Pepperdine wow. University. And Ken, I'll share all the information with you. Wow. So we created kind of our own group of speakers. And I was one of them. And then one of the other Karma members said, I really liked your talk. Would you be interested in speaking at Harvard? And I was like, yeah, by all means, of course. I would have never got approved to go there. I would have never yeah. got accepted. I'd right. love to speak there. And and the cute story there is when I got accepted to go, it was Mother's Day weekend. So I asked two questions. One is, can I bring my mom? And two, can I invite other speakers? Mm. So I engaged other people that I knew, also karma members that I knew were speakers, said, how'd you like to speak at Harvard? Little Tom Sawyer paint the fence. And they said, that'd be great. And I said, and by the way, I'm bringing my mom. It's Mother's Day weekend. One of the other karma members, Shervin, says, you know what? I'm bringing my mom too. So I wow. want everybody to understand this whole kind of vessel is about literally engaging and being engaged. Yep. And just saying yes, because the yes is the start and taking that intention. And this is actually one of my goals for 2022 is shortening the gap between intention yeah. and action. So if I think about it and I want it to happen, how quickly can I make it happen? 
I did uh, Marvin. I did a live stream on this last night, mm. talking about. I said, and we're friends on Facebook. So, but I, 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 I mean, I was like, I know what's holding most people back, and you know this. Successful people make decisions now. They don't. They don't hem haul is 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 what we say in Ohio. They don't like like they don't put all this time into the decision making process. They make the decision whether it's right or wrong. Like they just go take action and okay if if we're gonna screw up and fail, let's do it and do it fast and move on. And either way, you have a great story. <laughs> right. I exactly. My failure with the hologram company is still a great story. <laughs> I went. I that I was in. Uh, I drove to to Phoenix last. I drove home from Phoenix last week back to Ohio, and 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 I so I was. I stopped at a gas station. It's the, it's the most ridiculous thing. I'm putting my credit card in the gas pump, and I'm like, it kept saying, eh, 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 won't read it, and I'm like. What is wrong with this stupid gas pump? So I go back in, or I go inside, I tell the woman, this your gas pump's not working. She comes out, she's this older lady. She goes, what do you mean? It's worked for everybody else. And I'm like, well, it's not working for me. I don't know what the problem is. And so it was, I was putting the credit card in the wrong way. It wasn't reading the strip. And I See, looked rule at number one, went, it takes a senior moment for a senior to fix i know and and so i went in i went to the bathroom afterwards and i go hey you know what now you got a story to tell about some moron from ohio but anyway it was just funny and i think that that you know what you're you're talking about is is that i mean it's 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 making authentic real connections with people and not worrying about the sale outcome as much as the, the, the friendship, the relationship. Well, and when you build the relationship and after my talk at Harvard, I then had somebody else that saw it and said, how'd you like to do a Ted talk? And my answer was yes. Amen. So I had, it's a longer conversation, but for the purpose of the time constraints, I auditioned, I ended up getting accepted and and the audition process with one of the judges, Harry Singa, who's another organic mentor, pulled me aside and said, you did a great job. You need to focus on one element because my talk at Harvard was about humility, integrity, and passion. And he said, for a TED Talk to be successful, you need to choose one element. And it was a no-brainer for me. I said, this is going to be about humility. I already know this. And so I did a TED Talk on humility and I was vulnerable which I think is a key ingredient to anybody that wants to be a good public speaker. Yeah. I was authentic and I was real. Yeah. And then fast forward, one of our fellow karma members, Andrea Albright, who owns Beverly Hills publishing, she saw it and said, are you ready to write a book? And it's the right there behind you. It looks like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there's a few. Yeah. So, I said yes. Yeah. Had no idea what I said yes to, but I said yes. And then she created an amazing business model of how to write a book in 90 days, which is one of the values, but it's really a strategy. And 
and I embraced it heavily, understanding it. Yeah. And fast forward after the book came out right before COVID. Again, it's about engaging and being engaging. I said, look, Andrea, I know we can't do a book tour now. I know we can't do traditional marketing. How can I help you? How can I service you? How can I be a value to your company? Because you got me a book published. And even if it's sitting on a coffee table, I want to redeem and re and re-engage and reciprocate that value. And fast yeah. forward, we stayed in touch. We continue to build value. And now we're business partners. That's so awesome. Can you hold a copy of the book up so people can see it? We got we got to show off your book. <laughs> Humility branding. What's the subtitle? The hidden power to attract influence and transform the way your brand is perceived forever. Wow. Wow. I love that. And for your audience, I'll actually, I'll, I'll give away 10 books. I want one. Well, you for <laughs> sure. Oh, oh. Uh, and, and by the way, I was going to give a free gift anyways, um, because I, I'm, I'm creating like 10 tips for different things. Yeah. And I know everybody's looking for investment capital or at least the people that are reaching out to me. Yeah. So I've created 10 tips to be able to find your investor. And by the way, most of it is relationship driven, as you can imagine. Yeah. And, and the other part is becoming a brand. And that's why when I'm, and, and by the way, Andrea thought of the title and thought of the cover art. I mean, wow. it's like you, you have to engage and be engaging. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely love that. So how do, um, how do people get the free gift? So they can go to marv360.com. Hold on. Let me, I'm going to put that in. Hold on. Let me get a banner up here. Um, say it again. M-A-R-V. M-A-R-V. 360.com. Dot com. Okay. And, and they can also watch my TED talk. There it is. Scrolling across the bottom. That's it, right? Marv360.com. That's amazing. We have a bunch of people that want a book. <laughs> I love it. Do we have time for questions? <laughs> um, we are out of time. We're, we're literally at the end. We could take one or two questions real quick if anybody would like to um, ask Marv a question. Um, first, let me say this, Marv. I... I, I genuinely appreciate you investing the time. I know it's early in California. Um, I, you've, you've said some things that, that definitely resonate with me. Um, and I, I can tell from the audience reactions that, you know, I mean, wants a book as well. Um, Jennifer wants a book, Olivia wants a book. This has been um, this has been amazing. I can't wait to read your book, and I'll just go ahead and publicly say it. I I am a an Amazon influencer, and I think that um, after I get back from Dallas next week, we should we should talk about doing a um, an Amazon live to promote your book on Amazon directly to their customers. Amen. This is only step one in our journey, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. And by the so, way, if you look at it right now, the free gift is now sponsored by Breakthrough the Walls. If you go, if you refresh your page, 
refresh refresh marv360.com oh i don't have it open let me open it marv 360.com you are now sponsoring the free gift oh look at that that is awesome look at that i see it that's incredible awesome man yeah i think that that um john cook says fantastic interview brilliant marv is a superstar and i also want a book <laughs> okay so so john here's the best news about you saying i'm a superstar you realize that when people make somebody a superstar it's the reflection of the mirror that they see so congratulations john i can't wait to know my fellow superstar that's awesome it's like magic marv i love that <laughs> love that debbie's awesome Jay, I see he was on TED Talk Flower Mound. Yes, that's where I did it. Tammy Kling's okay. event. Wow, that's so awesome. So, Marv, listen, I appreciate you coming on and spending time. If you would stay with me, we'll finish up here. Um, but By I'm all means, to... I feel bad we don't have time for Q&A. <laughs> oh, it's it's all right. You know what? This is the first step in our journey. I love so it. We can, we can, we can do a lot more. If you have any questions, feel free to put them in the comments, reach out to me, reach out to Marv directly um, on Facebook is a great place to, to start a conversation. But um, listen, I appreciate you and everybody watching go over to Marv 360 and, and dot com and pick up the free gift that he's giving you. And Jay says he lives in the town right next door. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. That that's means awesome. his weather looks like my weather. <laughs> Jay is a really good friend of mine and a nationally syndicated radio host that was with ABC ABC Radio for a long time. So mm. Jay's a great man. Great. I just spent a bunch of time with Jay in Dallas, a few days actually. So um, anyway, so... Marv, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you to everyone who's watched. If you did not share this out, shame on you. We will publicly shame you. I'm kidding. Um, just, just if you would go ahead and share this out, we'd be very, very grateful for that. And we appreciate you watching. Marv, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. And we will see you all later. Make sure you follow Marv everywhere. Thanks so much, Jay. Say yes, and I'm ready for the next journey. Thank you. Bye-bye.